0: So I haven't really followed this too closely, but my understanding is there was a, a wedding in England, is that correct? And it's funny to me how, and I asked Diane this, why does America care what's going on in England with a royal wedding? And I guess it's because, you know, thinking of Disney princesses, you know, you know there's this, uh, I guess, mentality that, that every girl wants to be a princess but what's interesting to me as I, as I was thinking about that is that you know we don't really understand what it's like though sometimes to at least um, in, in their sense to, to serve a king but it's important that we really do understand what it means to serve a king what it means to be under royalty and we're going to look at some passages to wrap up the series that we've been talking about with grace but we've We've leaned a lot on this particular passage in Colossians chapter 3, and I want us to, to look at some passages from 1 Kings to begin with to kind of wrap things up in Colossians chapter 3 today. And actually, before we, we go to that, let's look briefly at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, if you'd throw that up for me, uh, Justin, Um In 12 through 17, we focused a lot on verse 15, and it says this, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called as one body, and be thankful. But let's look now at 1 Kings. I want to look at this story. You've heard this story before, but these couple of stories that I want to share with you today are a great reminder of what it means to serve the king of kings. And so in 1 Kings chapter chapter 18, we find this amazing story of Elijah. Elijah was uh, pretty much alone. There were some other prophets that were hidden away in this cave because the king at the time of Israel anyway, and his wife were not serving the king of kings, a lord of lords, they were serving a god known as Baal. So they were involved in Baal worship, another god called Asherah worship, and so there was just a, a mess of where the people's hearts were. The people's hearts in Israel were not for the Lord their God. And so Basically, Elijah gathers together the people. We're going to go ahead and begin by looking at verse 20. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people... I must have a different version up there. Okay, Verse 18, 20. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between... Two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Elijah gathers everyone together, the prophets of Baal, and the prophet him representing the prophets of God. He says, how long are you going to waver between two different opinions? And I love how it says that the people didn't even answer a word. You know, when you, we hear something we know is true, there's that moment where we just you really have nothing to say. But the decisions that had been made in the past are brought to this moment, and Elijah calls them out on it and says, Look, how long are you going to go back and forth? Who really is your king? And so the prophets are gathered together, and he says, If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. People didn't answer him a word. Verse 22, Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It's well spoken. So we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of a showdown here. We're gonna we're gonna set up two sacrifices. We're not gonna use any matches, but the God who answers by fire, who takes care of the sacrifice, he is God. How's that sound to you? Everyone's right, like, great, sounds good. And as we've mentioned before, as we've looked at this story, it would have been really easy for them to say, yeah, because Baal was one of the things he was, was the god of thunder and lightning. And he could have easily caused lightning to come down and to consume the sacrifice easily. So yeah, sure, let's go ahead and do that. Sounds great. And then Elijah said to the prophets, Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for your many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. You go first. You got the home court advantage, clearly. 450 prophets of Baal. So you go ahead and do it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, "O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. It says, and they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, cry loud, for he is a god. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, which means he's going to the bathroom. He can't be disturbed to come and bring down lightning for you, okay? Or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and and must be awakened. And of course, I'm sure that just ticked them off and just riled them up all the more. And it says, and they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Can you imagine the picture? You know, it says they limped about. You know, you picture that whole kind of leaping and dancing about the altar, blood everywhere. I mean, just kind of a crazy Indiana Jones kind of movie type moment, you know. it says, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, which is the the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. You know why? Because Baal's not real. Baal's not a real God. But they took all of their time, all of their attention, all of their power, all their resources, and they had for so long and poured it into Baal into something that would never answer, something, someone that would never come through, a God of their own making that had been passed down through different generations. Not a real God. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here. (laughs) And all the people came near to him, And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Up in the high places, people would go up to the the mountains, if you will, to make their sacrifices because they felt like they were closer to God there. I'm sure some of you could probably relate to that. You ever feel close to the Lord when you're on a mountaintop, you know, or a, a majestic place like the beach, even? Okay? You just feel close to the Lord. But the. You know, all the, the, it doesn't say they had to repair the altar of Baal that had been thrown up there, whatever they had done. The altar of God had been torn down. And there had to be a moment where they realized that this had to be put back into place. Elijah has to repair the altar to even offer his sacrifice to God. It says Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. "...to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name." And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as it would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in, in, in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. He got it ready, like everyone else, but then he did this. Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood." They said do it a second time, they did it a second time, they said do it a third time, they did it a third time, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. The jars that we're talking about aren't like a little mason jar that we're thinking of, they were huge jars of water that were dumped on top of everything to show that Elijah would have nothing whatsoever to do with this, no tricks, no nothing. We know during this time too, which is crazy, is that water was precious. They were in the middle of a drought. Prior to this whole story, the king is wandering around with one of his servants looking for some grass somewhere that they might be able to feed their animals so they wouldn't die. Water was crazy scarce, and here it is being poured out. There's a lot of symbolism to that that we're not going to spend time on. But he dumped all this water to the point that it ran around the altar, and it says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said this O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and and that I am your servant, that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Just everything gone. Of course, if they could have, you imagine this perspective, first of all, when they see that, they're they going to freak out. But then you could look over to the left wherever it was and see they're still their bull with blood on that altar, untouched, no fire, no smoke. They could look at how they'd cut themselves and tore themselves to pieces for a god that didn't exist, and then they look and see what the true and one and only God has done. And considering that perspective, it says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. Who? The Lord. The Lord, he is God. When we started this, Elijah said, look, you know, it's time for you to make a decision. It's time for you to realize, you know, who is it that you serve? And we continue to to, without realizing it unconsciously many times, make a choice on a daily basis who we're going to serve. It's not all about large, grand moments where where the decision is put in front of you. Who you serve takes place on a daily basis. It takes place on a moment-by-moment basis. This week, who are you going to serve? This day, this moment, when you have a decision to serve the Lord or yourself, because that's who it is, because Baal does not exist, who are you going to serve? And so we have that amazing story in the book of 1 Kings. Yesterday I was reminded of this story as we were at the nursing home, and I wanted to take a look at it today in the book of Daniel. <coughs> in the book of Daniel, we have we have some guys called Shadrach, Meshach. Who's the last one? Abednego. Abednego. Three guys that came with David as uh, a lot of the... the Men of from Israel were carted over to Babylon. They were put in service under King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, pagan king. And we find this moment where they are put to this particular, in this particular situation as well, where they have to make a choice, or they have to make a decision as to who's really king. And so we read, we read this story. And let's see here. I don't think I've got the right reference there. Let's see? It's in chapter 3. Let me just read it to you unless you can pull it up for me Justin. Chapter Daniel chapter 3 verse 8. I'm going to begin to read it and we'll catch up with the screen. That's my fault. I apologize. Therefore at that time it says certain Chaldeans came forward And maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. See, Nebuchadnezzar had thought a lot about himself as king. Thought he was all that and a bag of Doritos, okay, all that, just great king made a statue to himself and said, you know what, when all the music plays, all these different instruments, when you hear that, you're going to go ahead and, and bow down before this great image of me, right? That's what was happening in Babylon at the time. And so, but what happens, of course, is there's these Jews, there's, there's Daniel, there's Shadrach, there's Meshach, and Abednego. And it says, there are these certain Jews, in verse 12 here, whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These guys are in leadership, Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, had already made this decision prior, right? Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you're ready, uh, you know, I'm going to give you another chance here. Maybe you just didn't understand what I was asking of you. Now, if you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. I kind of, I can't help this, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, One of those Mike Myers movies where the guy's like trying to think up what he's going to do that's so horrible to him. If you don't worship me, you will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. He looks around, you think, guys, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So that's what's going to happen to you. And then he says, and who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar, again, thought a lot of himself, didn't he? But here's, here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to say. So clearly guys that have been presented with choices of who they're going to serve before. They were probably with Daniel when Daniel and it says some of the other guys had made a decision whether they were going to eat the food from the king or they were going to eat vegetables. If you remember that story. And so here they are, and they say, they they respond, and they say, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. I love that. I didn't even think about that. We don't even need to respond to you. We don't care <laughs> you know, what you think. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand okay no fear whatsoever in front of King Nebuchadnezzar this guy was at the time like the most powerful King Babylon was just stretched out he had the ability to to definitely take their lives he had the furnace at the ready but their heart was in a completely different place that it was above all worry It was above all circumstance. The furnace didn't matter. The things that surrounded them didn't matter. Man, you know, how do you have a heart? How do you have a life that's in that place? Because aren't you, if you look at your life, aren't you, don't you feel like circumstances really affect the way that you live? If you have a good uh, for Christians, or, or these guys, they're a good day or a bad there's no such thing as a good day or a bad day as, as far as how they worship God. Because this would have been a bad day, right? We would have been trying to think of the way out. How do we get out of this situation with Nebuchadnezzar? How do I make this work? You know, we don't have kings over us like this, but the closest thing to a king might be your boss and you worry about pleasing your boss, and your boss asks you to do something that isn't right, what do you do? Because you could lose your job. These guys could, could lose their life, but they didn't care because their heart, their life was in a place that circumstances did not affect their relationship with their God. So Nebuchadnezzar, you know, let it be known to you, okay, uh, the God we, are, we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Now, there's a lot of times like that as Christians where we're kind of rah-rah, right? Jesus is going to take care of me. Everything's going to be all right. I'm going to turn up my worship music. I'm going to pray. And, and it's emotional sometimes. We can walk out of church on that mountaintop, Right? We know what the Word of God says, we know the promises of God, we know these things, but still in some way it's emotional because as soon as we hit that circumstance, we tank. Because there are times, let me ask you this, that you pray for something specifically and you don't get what you want. Did you ever pray for a job and not get it? Did you ever pray for God to change someone's heart and it wasn't changed? You ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? This is real life, by the way. You can say, yeah. You know what? That doesn't mean that God's not God. Doesn't mean that He's not real. Doesn't mean He doesn't hear you. Doesn't mean that He doesn't answer. But you know what? God does what He pleases, He does what He wants. We don't always get it. We don't always understand it. Let me tell you what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were above the rah rah what would Jesus do bracelet, kind of wear my t-shirt thing. That's all great, well and good, but they were beyond emotion. You want to know why? Because look at the next thing that they say. First of all, if God's able to save us, Nebuchadnezzar, but you know what? Verse 18, but if not. Whoa, wait a minute. You considered the but if not? But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their hearts, their minds, their lives were all about God, and it did not matter to them whether God answered or not, because you know what? He is still king whether I get what I want or I don't. He's king. They really got it, didn't they? But you know what? In a lot of Christian churches today, it's all about what do we get from God? And I've been guilty of that at times too. If we we do this, then we'll have a peaceful life. Then we'll get what we want. But what if we don't get what we want? What if God doesn't come through at least the way we think that He should come through? God is still God. God is still King. He is the only God. Whether you get what you want, or not. He's king, and you're not. He is sovereign. He is in control. There is not a Baal that you can turn to. There is not an Asherah pole that you can turn to. You know why? They don't exist. They're not real. There is one God, King of kings and the Lord of lords. And these guys said, you know what? I really hope that God saves us from this furnace. But even if he doesn't, I'm walking right on in. Their heart, their lives, were all about the king. It wasn't about their circumstances. It wasn't about them. How much do we make things about us and what we want and our comfort and you, we can fill in that blank so many different ways. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm not saying that God doesn't care, that He doesn't love you, that He won't come through. He will. But He doesn't always do things the way that we demand of Him, the way that we ask of Him. And some of us, because of how He responds, can really be hurt by that. We can really be pushed aside by that. Our emotions sometimes rule our worship of God. But worship is not about emotion, is it? Part of it is, but it's not all about emotion. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that place. If God, God We believe God's going to carry us through, but if he doesn't, in your face, Nebuchadnezzar, we will never bow down to you. Our loyalty is for one. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar really respected that, right? He really just said, you know, oh, that's, this is amazing. You guys are, are just, wow. This God must be really something. No, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love that. Can you just imagine what his face looked like at this point? Because this guy was a megalomaniac, okay? It was all about him. It says, because of that, it wasn't just a regular furnace, right? He heated the furnace up seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into this furnace, it says, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, I guess so there would be some extra kindling, right? And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and the Mednego. The guys just trying to throw those guys in there got killed because the fire was so intense. It was so hot. It says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and arose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. Four men. You want to learn a a theological term this morning? Say this with me, Christophany. One more time, because some of you are like, Chris what? Christophany. Christophany is when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. We don't have three people walking around in the furnace. We have what many? We have four. Do we didn't cast three? He said, "Why? Well, you know, there's four. I see four men unbound walking around in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the sun of the gods." And Nebuchadnezzar came, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, burning fiery furnace, and he declared, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here." Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors. And the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no power, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Look at what it says. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And this one always gets me. And no smell of fire had come upon them. No smell of fire. You guys know it's no secret that I like to smoke cigars. I, I try to diane does not like the smell she gets a headache she doesn't like the smell of cigars and so if i want to be close to diane after that if i want to get a kiss a smooch a hug i, I try to like scrub up and get you know get any kind of smell of cigar smoke off of me i've taken a shower i've gargled i've brushed my teeth i've done everything and i'll get into bed and she'll be like ah, smoking a cigar after all that here's a huge furnace that's already consumed the people that threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they come out without even a hair singed, with not even the smell of smoke. It's incredible. Elijah understood who was king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood who was king. My prayer is that our hearts will be like Shadrach, (coughs) Meshach, and Abednego. That we understand what it means that Jesus is king. In Colossians 4, I want to take a final look at the passage, or Colossians 3, excuse me, final passage we've been looking at over the last four or so many weeks. Considering who the real king is in your life. Considering that in verse 12 it says to put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved put these things on put on this clothing if you will put, on, put this on your hearts compassionate hearts, <coughs> kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord, our King, has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We want you to take on the attributes of our King, and above all put on, uh, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And, and then here's that, that verse again. And let the peace of Christ what? I heard two of you. Rule. That's a, that's a, that's a kingdom kind of word. Kings rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. If the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, that's, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, isn't it? They had the peace of Christ. They had the, the peace of, of, the, of God their king was ruling. If, he, if he, he's able to save us, great. If he doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's king. He's above all circumstance. He's above anything that can come against me. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule. Let him rule. The decision that we make today, the decision that we make every moment is who's going to be king? You or God? Who's going to rule this week? Who's going to rule today? Who's going to rule today? at lunch? Who's going to rule in the next moments as you leave the church? Who's going to rule? Stop trying to take over. Stop trying to do it your way. Stop trying to hand your heart to Baal and to Asherah. Your heart belongs to one. Only to one. as Christians, which I believe that you are, it belongs to one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the word calling means. That's what we've been charged with. And be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly the things that you think about, the stuff that occupies your heart and your mind, let it be the things of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And verse 17, I miss 17? <laughs> there it is. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, if God decides to do this or He doesn't, right? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That peace, that compassion, that patience, that forgiveness, the things that we find written in Scripture in Colossians chapter 3 are under the umbrella of God as king. He has to be king. doesn't make sense if you try to make yourself king. He's king. As believers in Christ, you made a decision that, that Jesus would be king. Not you, not anybody else. Kings do what they please, not what we please. But what's amazing about that is that we do, it is true, find such joy and peace and happiness and hope and all these things in serving the one true king. You stand with me? Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for these true stories we find in Scripture. Lord, I thank you for the story of Elijah, Lord, who recognized you were king. Lord, the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lord, who knew you were king. Lord, that whether you came through the way they wanted or not, and this, is, this is a life and death thing. You were their king. Lord, I pray that you would help us to give you our hearts, our very lives, no matter the circumstances that surround us. Lord, may our loyalty always be to you. Lord, in that loyalty, we are so grateful and thankful that you love us, that you offer us grace and forgiveness and peace, and Lord, that you care for us with, uh, with just an amazing patience. Lord, help us in the decisions ahead today, tomorrow, and the days to come, Lord, that we continue to serve you as you are our King. Lord, today we, we thank you that you are in control. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.